Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. In colloquial parlance, chicken feed is considered to be something inconsequential, but chicken feed is very important to poultry farmers and even more important to chickens. Dr. Kevin Downs, an associate professor of poultry science, has just published a study he co-authored on the effects of coloring chicken feed given to broiler chickens over a 21-day period. Does coloring chicken feed result in bigger, better chickens? We'll find out after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. The Nashville Sounds Baseball Club is conducting an online auction of their game-used military appreciation jerseys to benefit the Charlie and Hazel Daniels Veterans and Military Family Center at MTSU. The auction runs until Friday, August 13th at 6 p.m. The Sounds wore the camouflage military jerseys during the 2019 season and twice so far this year. The club will wear them for a final time as part of Military Appreciation Night on Sunday, August 8th. Bids for the jerseys are now being accepted at NashvilleSounds.com forward slash auctions. And the American Heart Association is inviting Rutherford County back to its premier event to boost physical and mental health through healthy habits while supporting their life-saving mission. Rutherford County Area Heart Walk participants and teams are invited to the Dean Hayes Track and Soccer Stadium on Saturday, September 25th, beginning at 8 a.m., to celebrate heart and stroke survivors, to raise life-saving funds, and to encourage physical activity. This year's theme, Heart Walk Here, invites participants to walk on the event path or create a path of their own. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. What gave you the idea that making the chicken feed different colors might make a difference to the chickens? Uh, Joseph Galizia, who is the first author on this, is a former student of mine uh, who's currently uh, in graduate school in poultry science, working on his master's and soon to be started, starting on his PhD in poultry science as well at Auburn. He actually, we were, I remember we were driving somewhere, it was a long time ago, and he came up with this idea. And we just kind of went from there. We understand that birds, obviously, and chickens are birds. We understand that you know, they see differently than we do. And they certainly um, see in color like humans do. But they also had a, have a wider range of, of what they actually can see. And so our thought was, hey, let's color feed a few different colors and see what, is, what it does relative to increasing feed consumption if it does. And obviously, if we can increase the feed consumption in chickens, then we could increase uh, growth and increase performance. And so that was the, the background to where we kind of jumped off with this whole concept of coloring feed. Most research in the past that has dealt with this was with chickens other than broilers, and some, I understand, with turkeys. Why? I don't know why, actually. It, the color research, past color research, there's not been a lot of color research, period, in chickens. Now, there's been some color research in, in other bird species, pet birds and that kind of stuff. But as far as research in chickens, most have focused on uh, the table egg layer, the bird that lays the white egg you buy in the store, or turkeys. Why that is, I don't really know. What was interesting, and that was one of our objectives here was, is a lot of the research is not focused, uh, has not been focused on broilers, the meat type chicken that we eat. And particularly what had been done with broilers was fairly old. 
it had been back in, you know, back in the 70s. So it's been a while. And, you know, with genetic selection, with the broiler, you know, we've really changed since then the growth rate. And so what we also, in addition to just playing around with colors a little bit, we also want to see is there, you know, is there something maybe different in a more modern broiler than what we saw from previous data? What was your methodology? Uh, we don't have a hatch or anything like that where we can produce our own birds. These birds were actually uh, donated by a uh, company. We do have, MTSU does have a, has, have a, has a facility to do small scale uh, broiler nutrition research. Typically our studies do run for about three weeks. That's about all we can do in our facility setup. But the methodology was kind of interesting because we don't have the ability uh, at MTSU to really manipulate feed, to manipulate the content. In other words, if I wanted to change the protein concentration of different feeds and see what that does, we don't have the ability to do that here at MTSU. Uh, where, and that was kind of where this color research kind of came from is because what could we do within the framework of what we have to work with? And so the birds were donated from a local company and then the feed was also donated. And so the feed the birds received as far as the nutrient concentration, the protein, the carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals was all the same for all the birds. We picked up a large amount of that feed and we divided it up into our different colors. And then we literally colored this feed with a, and I, I personally learned a lot about feed coloring and feed dye and what, what dye is out there. And we actually purchased dye from a company that manufactures dyes for use in de primarily for decorating cakes. Because when they decorate cakes, you know, they'll mix in the, some of the paste dyes or the powder dyes that are really, really strong, dark. And so we actually purchased powdered dyes, human grade, food grade uh, dyes. And we mixed those into uh, this complete or mixed it onto really. We, this feed was already completely uh, mixed and manufactured and pelleted and crumbled, which is when you take the pellets and break it up designed for the, the young birds. We used a concrete mixer, uh, which worked pretty well. And we actually put that feed in that concrete mixer, put the dye in there and mixed it and mixed it and mixed it until we could visually see the color differences. So it was interesting. It was a methodology we came, we came up with ourselves, but it did work there's a it was a lot of distinctive contrast between the colors of the feed and since the dye was um edible by humans you didn't have to worry about any bad chemicals getting right. in there right and that was what we you know that was that would have been obviously the concern because you can obviously buy a lot of different types of dyes many of those i would never want to feed to humans obviously and i would not want to necessarily feed to birds because you know they're clearly would cause issues with health or whatever. And so we made sure to, and it was call, it was fairly costly to get enough dye uh, that was human food grade, but we wanted to make sure that it would not affect, negatively affect the bird's performance. Just the addition, we, did, we didn't want the addition of the, the dye to somehow negatively affect the performance of the bird just by the addition of the dye. We were focused more on, does the color change of the feed uh, affect anything relative to feed consumption? How old were the chickens? Did you use just female or did, did you get a rooster or two in there? Ideally, you want to use, if you can, the same sex because there is some variability between male and female as far as growth rate or whatever variable you're, uh, you're trying to measure. So we did use all males. We always use all males in our studies. Um, so they're all males, genetically the same birds. 
uh, we started those birds as day old chicks and we grew them uh, until they were 21 days old. What was the composition of the, the chicken feed and how much feed did each bird get? I guess each bird would get the exact same portion, right? It, they did. And it's interesting you asked that question because what we tried to do, and, and obviously these birds were not managed as, as per se like industry birds because it's a you know, research facility, but we did try to mimic as much as possible the way these birds would be raised in the industry. So by doing that, we did feed these birds all the feed they wanted. The feed itself is, is very typical commercial broiler starter, what we call a broiler starter feed. It's designed for starting chicks and it has a lot of protein. So this diet was about, if I remember correctly, it was about 25% protein, which is pretty common. And so it's made up primarily of corn and soybean meal. And then it has some added vitamins and minerals and some other stuff. As far as how we manage the birds, the birds did get all the feed they wanted, but, and for the listeners that might not be familiar with uh, the poultry industry as much broilers, the meat type birds, and no, I'm going to, I'm going to state this. I try to state this as much as possible. We do not feed or inject hormones in meat chickens. That's been against the law since the 1950s. We through genetic selection have done a tremendous job of creating birds that grow very rapidly. If we were to feed these birds or birds in the industry, all the feed they wanted, all the time and left the lights on most of the time, they would actually grow too fast. And we don't want that health issues and stuff like that. So what we did at our facility, we weren't able to control lighting like they do in the industry. Because, you know, if you think about it, if a bird is, if we want to control feed intake for, from a bird, then we either take the feed away from them and then put it back. Or if we just turn the lights off for a little while, like if you you know, the, your lights in your house go out, you're probably not going to go eat because you can't see where you're going. Same with the birds. And so they just lay down, don't eat. So in the industry, we restrict feed intake with the birds through light, through light control. But we at our facility could not do light control. So what we literally did, we, we restricted, after the birds got started, we restricted the feed intake a little bit, not tremendously, but to mimic that light restriction, light, that, that light restricted feed intake, of the industry, we took the feed away for a little bit and then gave it back to them. And we did that every day. So it was a lot of manual labor uh, to do the research we did, but to try to mimic the industry and how we grow these birds, we did restrict their feed intake once they got started. And that was for the bird's health, because if we don't, it's like, you know, kind of like humans. If you just say, go eat everything you can possibly eat, eventually that's going to catch up with you. It's not going to be healthy. These birds the same way. If they eat all they can get to, they're going to grow too fast and it's going to cause health issues. We'll take a break right here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Army ROTC College Program at MTSU prepares students mentally, physically, and emotionally to become leaders and promotes virtues of duty, honor, country. ROTC cadets are involved in all academic disciplines, athletics, and student organizations at MTSU. Full scholarships and tuition assistance are awarded based on merit. All cadets upon graduation will serve their country as second lieutenants either in the Army, Army Reserve, or Army National Guard. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Women in Science and Engineering, or WISE, helps college women prepare for and become involved in science-related careers. WISE nurtures women's interest in these fascinating and critical fields and provides mentoring and networking opportunities. The group's main goal is to assure women of their importance in all scientific and technical fields and to promote equal opportunity and treatment of women in science. 
I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte Gross, Wise Advisor. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Kevin Downs, an associate professor of poultry science, a co-author of a study on the effects of coloring chicken feed uh, and whether or not broiler chickens respond to that. In the room, the lighting obviously matters, as you mentioned, but does the temperature matter? And if so, why? It does. And, and as far as, again, we're, we're, we try to mimic as much as we could the way these birds will be raised in the industry, but certainly... We have to be very aware of whether the industry or whether doing research, we have to be aware of the temperature the birds are in. Obviously, if you've got chicks that are day old, they cannot regulate their body temperature well. So we have to provide them with supplemental heat just for their own survivability. But as the birds start to grow and are able to start to regulate their body temperature, we can start to adjust that temperature. And we attempt, obviously we attempt to maintain a temperature to keep the birds as comfortable as possible. So if we're growing birds in the wintertime, we're gonna to have to provide heat. If we're growing birds in the middle of summer in Tennessee, that's a challenge because we're gonna to try to, we would have to provide as much cooling as we possibly can. We did keep all the birds at the same temperature throughout the entirety of the study. So that was important. You know, having said that, that's not something we're looking at, but we can manipulate, you can certainly manipulate feed intake of birds by manipulating their environment and manipulating their temperature specifically if the birds are raised at a high temperature, it's too hot, they stop eating as much. If they're raised at colder temperatures, they eat more. So what was the temperature? The pens where the birds are kept, they're individually having their own little individual heater. So their own, it's pretty fancy for the birds, they have their own little heater. And so we try to keep that about 90 to 95 for about the first week. And then we drop it down about five degrees or so every week until we get to in the room we get to the point where the birds are in that 80 to 75 degree range where they're comfortable. Would the feed color affect the color of the eggs the hens lay? If you go and say you just buy a whatever brand, white eggs or brown eggs, doesn't matter. They're the same nutrient content in both of those. And you crack it in a frying pan, you see the yolk and the yolk is yellow. Uh, but some people that might have backyard birds, they say, well, my eggs might be a little bit better because the yolk is darker. Well, that's not necessarily true. That only means those birds have eaten more of a pigmentation in their environment, bugs, grass, whatever. It has a lot of that pigmentation and it makes those yolks darker. doesn't change the nutrient composition. It just makes those yolks darker because the bird will put dietary pigmentation. They will put that in the egg. And so, yes, if you were to feed some of these color diets, I would suspect that you would change. It may not be a pretty change because it's not it's not constant enough, but you would probably change the color fairly dramatically of the uh, egg yolk. The reason why their eggs are yellow is because they eat a fair amount of corn. Well, corn is also yellow, so it contains that same pigmentation. If we feed birds white corn, it doesn't contain much pigmentation. And so if we feed those birds white corn exclusively, their egg yolks actually turn white, sort of creamy color, not appetizing because we're so used to seeing nothing wrong with it. We're just so used to seeing the yellow yolk. So you can absolutely change the color of the yolk. And in fact, we can manipulate the concentration of nutrients in the yolk by what we feed the bird. And we do that in the industry. 
So in your study, you basically found that to the extent they have a color preference at all, they like blue and to a, a lesser extent purple, right? Not necessarily groundbreaking research based on what we did. Our study was fairly small, but I would like to follow this up with looking specifically at purple and blue. Because when we think about the bird's visual range, they're a little different than ours. Birds see the same colors we do. The, the color, like I, I like to say, the colors of the rainbow. They see those colors and we see those colors. But what they also can do, they can shift their vision a little further down that spectrum into the ultraviolet range that we can't see. And that's getting into that dark purple and then beyond. And so the assumption would be that birds that consumed purple or blue is also towards that end as well. That might be a bit more stimulatory. We did see some of that. Purple did respond a little bit better. Some of the other colors, blue as well. Nothing spectacular, but I would like to follow this up and see what happens specifically just with purple and blue treatments or even giving some preference, doing some preferential treatments where birds are giving both blue and purple and see if the birds actually, when they have the option to pick between the two, which one do they actually prefer or do they prefer any? We typically think of, you know, reds and the oranges and the yellows. We typically think of those as, you know, being not as uh, stimulatory to, to, to the chicken. We saw some of that. We didn't see a lot of effect from the, especially the yellows and the greens, but at the same time, from a practical standpoint, you do see birds react, and I don't know the physiology, what's actually going on necessarily, but you do see the birds react to red some. Not always a positive reaction, though. Red can sometimes in uh, chickens can be an averse color. Although we do use a lot of red when it comes to manufacturing feeders and drinkers and stuff like that, red lighting sometimes can be um, almost overstimulatory to the bird to a negative effect. So. Uh, there's something going on there uh, when it comes to these colors, but uh, again, we didn't get into necessarily to that. We we're just looking at the feed colors, but 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 anyway, this, so that's what I want to do is kind of look at let let's let's focus on that end of that visual spectrum that gets us to the area where we're outside of the range for humans, really, uh, and start to 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 play around with that area and see if we see any differences. What makes blue and purple so interesting to me is that most of what is eaten in nature is not naturally blue or purple. Right. You know, most of what we humans eat, if it's blue or purple, it's because we've added some kind of artificial right. coloring to it. Right. But most of what they eat is not blue or purple as a matter of course. Right. And we have to, and you have to think too, is, is, and it's hard to describe this and I'm by no stretch of the imagination, uh, an expert on avian eye physiology, but uh, when, we, when we think about how we see the world and how a bird sees the world, it's totally different. Um, they don't see things, yes, they can see the cut and colors, but the way they visualize certain things in their environment is totally different than us. So what they see that, you know, we think, well, they're eating something that's green, that we see it green. They, because again, they're, they're also pulling in that ultraviolet uh, into the spectrum, into how they perceive the colors. So they may not actually be seeing it as green per se. They might actually be seeing it more as purple. I know you're not an expert on avian eyes, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. How do we know about 
what the chicken sees and how it sees in terms of the range of colors. It's not as well we could take him to the ophthalmologist and put him in the chair and have the doctor examine him. The birds have four distinct types of combs, the typical red, green, blue, and then they also have a, an ultraviolet one that we would not have. Because we look at ultraviolet as, for us, as something that's bad. You know, we talk about ultraviolet rays, but we don't have the cones in our eyes to actually perceive ultraviolet. The birds do. So that's the biggest thing when it comes to how they perceive their ultraviolet. We'll take another break here. We will return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERRA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERRA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERRA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Middle Tennessee State University Women's Studies Research Series features compelling monthly talks on gender-related topics by faculty and graduate students. The series offers a chance to learn about research and progress and to chat with faculty in an informal setting. All lectures are free and open to the public and are held on the MTSU campus. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking about the color of chicken feed and to what extent chickens have a preference, broiler chickens specifically, with Dr. Kevin Downs, who is an associate professor of poultry science and co-author of a study on this very subject. To what extent is the chicken's ability to remember what it likes instead of the ability to tell colors apart factoring into this? I'm wondering if it's all about color, if the preference is all about color. Birds on one treatment, they say a bird, the bird was on red. Those birds in that pen, they only had access to red. Birds in yellow, they only had access to yellow. You know, maybe there was some color effect, but, and I'm not saying there's not, but when the birds are not given a preference, you know, are they going, that they're going to eat. And so there may be a habitual thing here. There, it's a habit, they that's feed. And okay, it's different you know, we start these birds as chicks, and so they're not going to necessarily know, okay, well, I'm used to purple or whatever, but maybe they become used to it and say, okay, I'm eating purple. If I were to change that feed in the middle of the study to from purple to red, would they actually stop eating the feed until they adjust or stop altogether? And I don't know. We didn't look at that, but I, that's interesting because some of the previous studies have been preferential studies to say, let's look at giving these birds access to both at the same time and then monitoring the feed intake of one color and a feed intake of the other, and does that vary? And I think with our facilities, we can easily do that. So that's why I'm really interested in following this study, these two studies that we did with these colors up with something that looks more, okay, which one do they actually prefer? We didn't give them a choice. If further research showed that giving the chickens blue and purple feed would produce bigger chickens, would it be practical for the feed manufacturers to start mass production of feed that is specific colors? You know, that we, we made the point in our research that, look, this is something we're looking at. It's interesting. Right now, it's probably not practical as far as applicability to the industry. Uh, but, you know, as this research continues and as we're able to do more research in the area, if there is enough enough improvement in feed intake that would carry over to an increase in body weight, there may be an economic justification for it. My only 
caveat to that is the cost of the additional dye. And I'm not necessarily saying, saying the industry making millions and millions of pounds of feed every day would go to a small company and buy human food grade dyes in little containers, but they would have to be able to source that dye where it would be economic, because that's the balancing act. Is the improvement in performance, if we saw this, enough to justify the increased cost of, of the dye and increased cost of the logistics of mixing that dye at these large feed mills? There are some companies, not large scale broiler companies that are you know, producing your chicken meat, but some of the genetic firms uh, that are working with the genetic selection end of things, they are actually doing some um, in practice feed coloring. And so this actually is happening at an industry level, just not at the large scale level we would see at the broiler production. Up at the upper end of the genetic chain, we're seeing some of this. It's happening at a commercial level with the companies or they're doing it on an experimental basis? No, it's actually happening. Again, it's not large scale uh, because when you think of the genetic firms in the broiler industry, the broiler side of things, these are large, large companies. But as we start to think about this pyramid of genetic selection, the top of that pyramid, the number of birds is reasonably small because that's our really expensive pedigree type birds. And so it's kind of at that level where they're doing some of this. So it is in commercial application, but it's more in those higher end type birds um, where we're doing more genetic selection, where we can manage the birds in a different way and feed them in a different way. So it's more logistically possible at that end of things. This is sort of an exotic question, but what about other types of birds that people eat, like ducks, and squab, and pheasant? Do those birds have the same kind of uh, range of vision and ability to discern color as broiler chickens? They do. Yeah, birds are very similar. Um, I don't I hate to lump all birds into one, but they are very similar. I mean, um, there are some obviously some variations among different types of birds, but that is subtle. Uh, for the, the most part, birds all see in kind of the same range of color, including that ultraviolet, into the ultraviolet range. So uh, are we going to see mass-produced true blue corn with the MG logo <laughs> on it? Oh, that's a future? good idea. That's a good <laughs> idea. I didn't think about that. The next study, we could do a blue study and, talk, and call it the true blue study. There we go. Kevin, thank you for being our guest on MTSU on the Record. Thank you. It's great to be here. We'll be right back. The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Stephanie Barrett has the middle moment. MTSU is hosting undergraduates from around the country for eight weeks this summer as part of the National Science Foundation Research Experiences for Undergraduates grant. 
Dr. Rachel Leander, an MTSU associate math professor working with some of the students, explain why the grant has been beneficial for the university and faculty involved. Um, in terms of the university, it furthers our greater educational mission, right? Because um, here we have the opportunity to train students in this fast-growing and high-need area of computational science and prepare them for jobs in that field. Um, it also, you know, helps the university by publicizing our research programs, um, and that helps us to attract more talented students and also to earn public support and funding. In terms of the faculty, I think you know it's a great opportunity for us to further our research because we have the opportunity then to to work with these highly talented, right, and hardworking students over eight weeks in the summer, and that furthers our research program and also is a great um, rewarding mentoring opportunity. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.